Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Flight Deck, an inside look at the New York Jets. I'm your host, Rich Sabini. I cover the Jets for ESPN. This is the 83rd episode of Flight Deck, and it's the first time we're having a podcast when the Jets have a winning record. Unbelievable, right? The previous time the Jets had a winning record was when they were 1-0 in 2018. That was pre-Flight Deck, so we are in uncharted territory, folks. Drink it in. The Jets routed the Dolphins 40-17 to on Sunday, and let's go right to the headlines. They snap a 12-game losing streak in the division. It's the most lopsided win of the Robert Sala era, and it's only their fourth home win under Sala. I want to take you inside the locker room, uh, and I think there was a different feel on Sunday compared to the previous wins against Cleveland and Pittsburgh. In the Cleveland and Pittsburgh locker rooms, that was a kind of a crazy catch your breath, how did we do that kind of victory in each of those cases, especially Cleveland, which was just such a miracle win. Then, of course, another another comeback against Pittsburgh in the fourth quarter. Uh, this time, after the win over Miami, the, it was just an air of confidence in the locker room. It was almost like, a, yeah, damn right we did that kind of feeling, if that makes sense. And I think it's important to point out that this was the first time in 24 games, that the Jets enjoyed a wire-to-wire victory. Yeah, crazy. They had trailed in the previous 23 games. By far, that was the longest active streak in the league. So you have to go back to that Rams win late in the 2020 season uh, under Adam Gase, the last time they led wire-to-wire. But on Sunday, they did it. They jumped out early on that safety, 2 nothing. And they held the lead the entire way. And I think that's important. It's an important development for a young team to be able to play from ahead. It sounds easy. Oh, you got a lead. But it's a different. It's different. When you're when you're playing from ahead, you can do different things. You can dictate terms. It shows how you handle uh, prosperity. The Jets showed no complacency and they finished the game strong. These are little building blocks for a team like the Jets that have, you know, obviously been building for a long time. But these are important building blocks in the overall scheme of things. So I got that sense from the locker room. You know, I'm, you know, Brees Hall, after the game, this quote really resonated with me. He said, we're not the old Jets, we're the Jets now. He's got a little swagger to him. We always refer to Sauce Gardner as the rookie with the swagger, but Brees Hall's got a little bit of that too. I like it. Then I walk over to JFM's locker, and I start asking him about the Quinn and Williams stiff arm on Tyreek Hill. And obviously, John Franklin Myers had a couple of things he wanted to get off his chest, and he went into a little bit of a rant about how they felt that 
they loved that play because they they thought Hill was disrespectful in the offseason when he was making those comments about spurning the Jets and picking the Dolphins. And that really resonated with him and some other players. And so, yeah, he was doing a little trash talking in the locker room. But you like that, you know, and then Sauce Gardner, you know, with the pick, his first NFL pick. And then he had the hit on Bridgewater for the safety. You know, he always oozes confidence. And so. I, that's the sense I got out of the locker room after the game. It wasn't like the Cleveland or Pittsburgh locker room where it's like, wow, you know, how did we do that? Like I said, this was like, yeah, we did that. They played from ahead and they finished strong. And I have six takeaways as we talk about the Jets here with a 3-2 and two record. Five of these are really positive takeaways, and one of them raises a question. But let's get to them. Of course, let's start with Brees Hall. 197 total yards. That is a franchise rookie record. He was outstanding. Uh, what I really liked in this game was just, you know, his overall speed on that 79-yard catch and run. He was at 20.7 miles per hour. That is that is flying, folks. That is the second fastest play for a jet ball carrier this year. Interestingly enough, Braxton Berrios edged him out on his 15-yard touchdown run for the fastest play by a jet ball carrier this year. So Brees Hall showed the speed. He showed some power. He's had great hands. We've been talking about it since the beginning of training camp. He's a very fluid receiver. He can do things out of the backfield. What I liked about that 79-yard catch, and really what I liked, the way they used both running backs at the same time. Carter and Hall were in the game seven times, seven plays together. And that tied for the most this year. They also used him seven times last week in Pittsburgh. And I thought I think it causes so much stress for the defense. And you saw that on the 79-yard play. They were both lined up in the backfield with Wilson and shotgun. It was an RPO play action to Michael Carter. The, the Dolphins were playing the run. They had an eight-man box. Hall just slips out on a wheel route. He's wide open. Wilson finds him, hits him. And then he runs about 60 yards uh, yards after catch and gets dragged down at the one, almost an 80-yard touchdown. Uh, just <laughs> came up a little bit short despite his best efforts. So I think that was really impressive, just the way uh, you know they were able to use those two backs. Very impressive. The other thing is uh, I want to talk about Elijah Vera Tucker. <laughs> I mean, talk about versatility. Third week in a row, he was at a different position. He went from right guard, his regular spot, to left tackle against Pittsburgh. And as we kind of hinted during the week, he started at right tackle against Miami. From all indications, he did fine. Allowed no pressures, no sacks. Seemed to do pretty well in the running game. That's just a phenomenal accomplishment. He started now in 21 career games. He has started at four different positions on the offensive line. He's, uh, he's really proving his value, and I think people around the league are starting to take notice. Uh, by the way, that, that feat, uh, four different positions on the line in 21 career starts, only one other player has done that in the last five years. guy with the 49ers, Daniel uh, Bushkill, did it in 2019 and 20. But, uh, yeah, very impressive. Asked Michael Carter, I asked him about that, and he goes, man, if this guy doesn't make the Pro Bowl, the NFL is rigged. So great job by ABT. Zach Wilson, I thought he did a really good job of managing the game. He has now gone five quarters without an interception. Um, he's had eight 
scoring drives over those five quarters. Didn't do anything spectacular in this game. I thought his run for a touchdown was very good. But, like I said, did a really good job of distributing the ball, managing the game, and I hate to say the cliche, but, you know, taking what the defense gave him and just really riding a a very good running game. So progress for Zach Wilson. Uh, It was the first time in his career that his completion percentage above expected was in the positive numbers. So uh, a little thing there, a little statistical note on that. Another thing that was positive, the fourth quarter, the Jets have really developed the last few weeks into a good fourth quarter team. And we didn't. We started seeing that in Cleveland. They weren't against Baltimore, obviously, but it, the tide started turning against Cleveland. Let me throw these numbers out at you. Um, right now, the Jets have the best fourth quarter margin in the NFL at plus 38. They have scored the most fourth quarter points in the NFL at 58 points. And let me that that plus 38 margin. That is the best fourth quarter differential through five games in franchise history that's really saying something about their fourth quarter performances now they do stink in the third quarter we have to be fair here and point that out they're minus 31 in the third quarter which is one of the worst in the league so they got to get that figured out but you got to like what they're doing in the fourth quarter hey the nfl is a fourth quarter league and if you're if you can finish strong you're going to win your share share of games. Now, I want to talk about the defense. Uh, I know some people, you know, obviously the pass rush was good. Um, not many sacks. I think it was two sacks in this game, but they had a ton of hits. Carl Lawson had seven hits on the quarterback, including the strip sack, which was impressive. And I know some people are going to point about, you know, they did give up rushing yards. It was 130-some-odd rushing yards in this game. Raheem Mostert ripped him up pretty good. But I think it was a very clever strategy by Jeff Ulbrich. Essentially, the Jets played a rope-a-dope. They played a lot of light boxes in the first half, just daring Miami to run. The Jets were so concerned about Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell that they were overplaying the pass. They went with light boxes. They actually played a three-safety look. They used Will Parks, who basically hadn't played at all on defense this year. I mean, he played on special teams. He had the really nice onside kick play in Cleveland. But that, other than that, really hadn't done anything. So they dust him off, pull him out of mothballs, and use him as kind of a hybrid safety-slash-linebacker for about 30 plays in this game. And it was basically, again, they wanted more. They were giving up size for more speed on the field and uh, all because they were worried about that passing game. So they did give up some rushing yards, but I think they were okay with that. I think they were willing to play that game. Mike McDaniel noted it afterwards. You know, they really didn't even see any single high safety until the second half. So those were the positives there. I mean, like I said, Brees Hall, fourth quarter finishing strong. AVT, guy plays a different position every week. Zach Wilson. Good game managing, defense, good strategy. Now, the one concern, I, I, Jeff fans, hold the playoff talk. There's one thing we have to point out here, the trend so far this season. The Jets have been beating backup quarterbacks. You know, you saw it. Basically, they beat a third-string rookie, Skylar Thompson, who came in on Miami's second play because Bridgewater got victimized by the Tua rule, the new concussion rule. He was sent out of the game. 
he was done after the Sauce Gardner hit in the end zone. And so the Jets beat a rookie third-string quarterback who was playing for the first time in his life. Pittsburgh, they beat Trubisky, who's basically a backup, who handed off to Pickett, who's a rookie. And then in Cleveland, they beat Jacoby Brissett, who is a backup. So all three wins have essentially come against backup or rookie-type quarterbacks. And so they haven't beaten a big gun yet. They lost to Burrow. They lost to Lamar Jackson. And so that's the one pause, the one reason that gives you a cause to hesitate a little bit about this. You know, they got a big, pretty good quarterback coming up on the schedule this week about Aaron Rodgers, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. So that's the one reason for pause. But I say put that on the back burner for now. The Jets are 3-2. and two. They have a winning record. This far in the season, that hadn't happened since 2017, so it's been five years. Enjoy it. It's a nice run for both New York football teams. Enjoy it, and we'll see how it turns out and continues, if it continues, on Sunday in Green Bay. And it's Twitter time. A bunch of questions here. Uh, a bunch of positive questions. The tide has turned a little bit with the Jets season. At Matt Romano, 19, does AVT's versatility on the line make George Fant more expendable? I know they've been talking about a new contract for Fant, but they could push AVT to left tackle if things with Fant don't work out. Well, I think ultimately AVT's home will be back at guard. I think as excited as the Jets are about what he's been able to do filling in a tackle, his ultimate home is guard, and uh, I, they feel he can be an all-pro guard. So uh, I don't think that really has an impact on George Fant's future. He will be a free agent. They had talked about a contract. Clearly, you don't want to sign him to a contract extension now. He's going through some knee issues. Uh, I do think he'll be back in a couple of weeks, and it'll be interesting to see how they uh, reconfigure that offensive line. But, no, I think – AVT's tackle days will be short-lived as soon as they get some reinforcements. And at G Fetter one, I thought the Jets should have gone for two after the touchdown that made it 32-17 before the PAT, especially when the ball was placed at the one due to the face mask penalty. 34-17 would have made it a three-score game, right? And uh, thoughts on that? Absolutely correct. I thought about that at the time. They should have gone for two, uh, and uh, I checked the two-point conversion chart. That confirms that that was a oversight by Robert Sala. Should have gone for two. It obviously had no factor and no bearing on the outcome of the game. Next one from Mike's Muldoon, at Mike's Muldoon, and he asks the question, uh, what are the chances the Jets look to trade Denzel Mims before the trading deadline and perhaps entertain offers for C.J. Ozama, who seems to play no significant role on offense? Actually, uh, Mr. Muldoon, uh, Ozama got his most playing time this week. Uh, he split the time with Tyler Conklin. They were about even on snaps in this game. So uh, his playing time spiked this week. They can't trade C.J. Ozama. He's making too much money. Uh, could they look to trade Mims? I don't think they will actively look to trade Mims, but I definitely think they would listen for offers on Denzel Mims. I think it's quite apparent that he does not have a long-term future with the Jets. So it becomes a matter of when is the best time to get rid of him. Do you do it now before the November 1st deadline, or do you wait till the offseason where maybe you can get a little bit more? But I, I do think they would be willing to listen. Next one from 
at Dr. and the Woman. And the question is, is there something I don't understand about play action, perhaps with regard to offensive line or other complexities? And the question is, why don't the Jets utilize it more and with how much they run? The few times they actually did it, Zach seemed to have easy throws to make. Well, I checked it out, and I think they use it a little more than you might think. On Sunday against Miami, the Jets were 4 for 8 on play action with 105 yards. So that's good production for eight pass attempts out of play action. And overall this year, they've, uh, they're have they 23 for 38 with 300 yards on play action. The 38 attempts ranks 16th in the league. So smack dab in the middle. They're pretty much a middle-of-the-road team when it comes to play action. So they do use it more than you think. Next one from at Stephen Kinslow. Here's a question, Rich. Since you love bringing up history and negative correlations, when's the last time you woke up and had an unbiased thought about the Jets and then actually wrote or tweeted that thought? Let me know if that's in the archives, pal. Well, let me let me answer this question. I think, Scuba, you're the guy who gives Jet fans a bad name because if you read my stuff closely, you'll see that I've been reporting about a lot of positive things recently. They, After all, they've won three games. A lot of positive stuff to report about Zach Wilson's recent play, about the emergence of all these rookie draft picks, Quinn and Williams, bunch of positive things that apparently you overlook and look to point out the one or two negative things and bring it out. And so that's just, uh, like I said, giving Jet fans a bad name. you got to be better than that, Steve. Come on. And the next question comes from, let's check on my list here. And the next one comes from, what was that, Bob? And the question is, how much value do you place on the Jets now winning in the fourth quarter? I'm a 40-year-old football fan, and a 40-plus year football fan, and that has always been a very positive indicator, especially for young teams and new coaches. Absolutely right, Bob. Fourth quarter says a lot about a team. Number one, it's conditioning. You know, it shows you're a well-conditioned team. You can play the fourth quarters. Maybe this defensive line rotation, as much as we've been critical of it, maybe it's starting to pay dividends in that respect. I think it shows the abilities of the players to adjust. By the fourth quarter, you've seen the other team's schemes. You know their game plan, and you get a chance to adjust. So that's that's really good. And I just... Like, every team knows what's going on by the fourth quarter. You've figured out the other team's strategy, and it comes down to just guys making plays in the fourth quarter. And so that shows that the Jets have the horses to make those plays in the fourth quarter, whereas in the past, maybe they didn't. You know, I think they have to do a better job of adjusting in the third quarter after halftime because, I noted, as I noted earlier, their third down scoring margin is way down. That has to improve, but it is a very positive sign that the team plays for 60 minutes, especially, as you note, Bob, for a young team and a fairly new coach. Next one from at Rich TMC. Uh, If they move on from Mosley after this season, what are the salary cap ramifications? He doesn't look done. He looks burnt to a crisp. Uh, Rich, I think that might be, uh, you know, an, an exaggeration. He doesn't look burnt to a crisp to me. Uh, he has had some struggles in pass coverage. Let's let's be honest. You know, CJ has been exploited a couple of times, and to to move on from him, it, it, it's quite difficult. As you know, they redid his, they renegotiated 
before the start of the year just to get some cap room. They restructured his deal. So if they in 2023, he is counting 21.5 on the cap. If they designate him as a June 1st cut, which is what they would have to do, they would clear 17 million off that. So they'd have a 4.5 million dollar cap hit next year, which is very, very uh, palatable. It's not crazy, but by making him that June 1st cut, you're going to get hit with another 10.5 million the following year in 2024, and so cutting C.J. Mosley at any point in the next, you know, nine months is really problematic for the Jets in terms of the salary cap. Next one, at Steve Simon says, question is, uh, looking ahead to Green Bay on Sunday, which LaFleur brother has the better mental advantage, uh, Mike or Matt? Interesting. Uh, it's a, this is an intense brother rivalry, sibling rivalry. They're seven years apart. Matt is seven years older. Uh, I did a story on them about a year, a little over a year ago when the Jets were up there in Green Bay for a preseason game and some practices. I talked to their dad. Very competitive between the two brothers, even though they were seven years apart. Their dad, Denny, who happens to be a former high school football coach, told me about some epic wrestling matches between Matt and Mike at the family vacation home on the shores of Lake Michigan. So pretty intense rivalry there. I think really the the matchup to look for here is Matt LaFleur against Robert Sala. And we know those guys are like best friends. They lived together in the in their early 20s when they were GAs at Central Michigan. You know, they lived not far from the LaFleur family home. They shared an apartment together. So Matt and Robert are very, very close, and they have squared off at four times as play callers when Robert was the defensive coordinator at San Francisco, and uh, he faced Green Bay four times, and they split the series two and two. Robert got the upper hand in that playoff game, winning in the playoffs. Now, so that's more of a matchup, even though Salah isn't calling the plays anymore like he did for uh, San Francisco. It'll be more of an Ulbrich versus LaFleur chess match. But there are so many, so many different connections here with this coaching staff. It's just really the second week in a row that they've had it's, we can call it the Friends Reunion Tour. You know, this week was McDaniel and Sala and LaFleur, and now coming up, it's LaFleur and Sala. You know, that whole thing, I know it's a big deal for the LaFleur family. I'm sure they'll be driving from Michigan to Green Bay for the game. Big, big family gathering there. So very interesting. I'm not sure if anyone has the advantage because they know each other so well. And let's talk about the game. You know, of course, Green Bay coming off a, a really bad loss to the Giants in London. They are an interesting team, Green Bay. They're 3-2. and two. They're a top 10 in offense and defense. And, uh, you know, but they're not playing like it. Not playing like it at all. They've got some issues at wide receiver. Their run defense is suspect. You know, they can rush the passer. Rashawn Gary's got five sacks, but they're giving up 4.8 on the ground per carry. That has to be intriguing for the Jets. I'm going to pick the Packers here. Uh, A, they're going to have the best player on the field. That's Aaron Rodgers. I really like their uh, Aaron Jones, you know, Dylan combo in the backfield. That'll be a real test for the Jets' run defense. And, of course, they're at home. I think there'll be a greater sense of urgency for Green Bay coming off the bad loss. And uh, But I do think the Jets... 
This game is more evenly matched than people think. So I'm going to pick Packers 24-23 over the Jets. This is going to be a dogfight. Um, the, the talent level is really not that far off. Now, Rodgers is Rodgers. He's an all-time great. Uh, but if you take him out of the equation, I think the Jets are just as good at the skill positions, you know, and on defense. Eh, you know, maybe maybe the Packers are slightly better, but, you know, not that much better. So this is going to be a dogfight, but I can see Rodgers pulling one out in the end to give Green Bay a victory in what should be a very cont- hotly contested game. So um, hope you if you can get to Green Bay, I strongly encourage it. It's a great place for a football game, one of the great venues in the NFL. I will be there on Sunday, and I'll be back to talk to you next week on Flight Deck. A big, big thanks to Jeff Scopin who really went out of his way to put this one together this week. Kudos to Jeff, and we'll talk next week on Flight Deck.